We are sorry for the loss of families, of stability, of love. We are sorry for the loss of identity, of language and culture. We are sorry for the loneliness, the anger, the confusion and the frustration. We are sorry for the government practice that left you Indigenous people estranged from your families and your communities and your history, we are sorry. For this trauma, this pain, this suffering, alienation and sadness, we are sorry. To all of you, I am sorry. Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, as always. Uh, Jason isn't joining us tonight, unfortunately. He's got some uh, personal things to deal with, some auto repairs and home repairs and uh, things like that. So life sometimes gets in the way. So I, we started the show there, obviously, with the 60 Scoop apology from Rachel Notley and the Alberta government. Um, I was happy to see that the UCP even showed up for work that day, but hey, um, that's party politics. Now... Uh, obviously, we're going to start the show, or I'm going to start the show, talking a little bit about this uh, apology. And, well, I think apologies are great. Um, you know, I was told a story one time, a long time ago, uh, about this, uh, this little boy who, uh, you know, was being mean at school, and he, you know, but he apologized, so he thought everything was fine. And his dad said, okay, you know what, here's a, here's a bucket of nails. I want you to go pound all these nails in the fence. And he's like, well, how do you want me to do it? Just anywhere. Just pound them all in the fence boards. So he pounded them for hours. He was pounding them. His arm hurt, but he kept pounding them. And uh, when he was all done, he went in and said, okay, Dad, I got all those nails. And he said, okay, now go pull them all out. And the son was pretty angry, but he went and pulled them all out. And when he was finally, hours later, when he finally finished that, he went back in. Okay, Dad, I pulled out all those nails. And they went back out to the fence, and they had a look at the fence. And uh, his dad said, see, now... All of those holes represent the mean things that you say to people. And uh, I want you to apologize to that fence. So the kid says, well, sorry to the fence for pounding nails in. He says, see, that didn't fill up any of those holes, did it? And that's kind of how I feel about apologies from the governments these days. Um, it's it's a great gesture. Uh, I hope that it finds some... I hope that people find some meaning in it. Uh, I, I think it is... It's definitely needed. It's sorely overdue. However, I have a hard time just simply blindly accepting uh, these apologies from the government as sincere. And I guess the reason I'm having a hard time with that is just because this stuff continues. Uh, we have, you know, child protective services that steals children. We have um, all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, scoops still happening. Um, we have the government fighting indigenous people underfunding indigenous people uh there's there's lack of housing there's you know systemic poverty and and policies that in, ensure poverty on reservations and in and in metis communities and things like that it's so it's really hard to take these apologies as as just like oh great well now that they've apologized we can just move on um you know it's an apology to people who I mean, a lot of me, all the Métis are left out of those uh, 60 scoop uh, settlements, the TRC we were left out of. So who's this apology for? Is it really truly for the people of the 60 scoop or just the people who got the settlement, just that the people that the government recognizes as 60 scoop survivors? 
Uh, so it's it's uh, it's good. It's a great gesture. Uh, it's a great colonizer's gesture, as though to think that everything's okay, you know. And then, and then they walk around touting this policy or that policy. Well, see, we've we've put three new water systems in reserve, so see, we're really we're really doing things better. No, you're not. Uh, City Blackstock is still fighting to get proper funding for children. Um, you know, the education system for Indigenous people is underfunded. Uh, there's a new report that just came out uh, from the Auditor General saying that uh, INAC has been misrepresenting its its statistics for the longest time. And so we have graduation rates that are much lower on reserve than what, the, what INAC is reporting. We have... Um, all sorts of issues that INAC is just simply not reporting is, and so it. How do you accept an apology from that? You look at uh, Stephen Harper's apology a few years ago, and what did we get from that? Uh, Stephen Harper shut down funding to uh, Indigenous women's groups, shut down funding to court challenges programs, which is mainly used by Indigenous people. Uh, he shut down programs to urban Indigenous pro- uh, programming and and things like that. So uh, he. My wife was present when he they blue dotted everybody in southern Alberta to unroll or roll out their um edu- I, I believe it was an education bill at the time uh that still didn't provide equal funding um and so it's it's things like this that you know that apology was followed up with these actions that were basically the exact opposite of what an apology should be. I mean, if if you if you punch somebody in the face downtown of whatever city or town you're in, can you just go sorry and walk away and everything's good? No, there's consequences, and that's the one thing I don't think these governments understand is you know apologies are great, words are great. They uh, it's a great gesture. It's like running the flagpole up on city hall every Métis day or Aboriginal day. Very much appreciated. It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't help people heal. It doesn't. It doesn't bring closure to anything. People are still hurt. People are still are still living these effects. Um, a few episodes ago, we did an episode where we. It was almost like a, a round, like a you know a sharing circle, but it was for the public. Everybody knew they were being recorded. But in that episode, there was a sixty scoop survivor. And, you know, to sit beside her and listen to her speak, I don't, I don't really think that these um, non-Indigenous governments grasp the concept of what damage has been done to people. Um, and so it's, it's very difficult for me to see people like this um, wonderful lady who's you know, been surviving her whole life through this. It's it's really hard to sit there and, and listen to her and, and see the reaction she has physically and, and emotionally to talking about the 60 scoop. And, you know, there's a 90 scoop, there's an 80 scoop, there's a 70 scoop, there's a 2000 scoop. We're still scooping now, so <laughs> uh, really we're just at the start of all the scooping. But it's really hard to listen to them and then turn around and hear this apology and go, oh, wow, that's just, that's so amazing. Um, 
So it's very, very delicate issue. Um, I know that there, there are 60 scoop survivors out there that really appreciate the apology, and, and I appreciate the apology. But f- for me, personally, even though I didn't go through the 60 scoop, so I'm kind of, <laughs> you know, it's just my opinion, which everybody, you know, what they say, everybody has one. Um, but really, it, it is kind of, it's, it's, it's a great gesture. Um, but unless it's followed up by sev- like strong actions, it it'll end up being just that. It's just a gesture. Um, and and so you know, I mean, I hope that I hope the Alberta government is moving forward on on great programs. I doubt it, but I you know I truly hope that. the The reality is, is I think that this to me that when the governments apologize to them, it's a so we're done now. We're good. Like. We've paid out the 60 scoop settlement. That's or we're on the way to paying that out. Once that's done, and now we've issued an apology, like we're good, right? We're we're on solid ground. Um, and that just simply isn't the case uh, until they fix the problem that they have created. I, I used to read some books um, by many different authors, uh, but but one author in particular, he. Uh, the pit bull of self-help or whatever. Or it wasn't self-help, motivational speaking. That's what it was. Um, he always said, it, it was a guy named Larry Wingett, and he's, he is a bit of a wingnut. But he always said, you know, if, if you if you have a problem or you, you, you're, you created a problem or you made a mistake, the best thing to do is accept it, admit it, or admit it and fix it and move on. So... They've admitted that the 60 scoop happened, They've and they've apologized for it. So that's the admitting. But now that we're in the fixing phase. See, we can't move on without the fixing phase. And to me, uh, fixing means that you take those 60 scoops and all those scoop survivors, and you find them and their families, and you get them all together, and you do some serious counseling. You provide every ounce of help available that can be had uh, we can see now that the government is willing to just dump money into whatever they want and whatever they deem beneficial by today's announcement of a $4.5 billion purchase of a 50-some-year-old pipeline. So if they can do that, surely to God they can free up a few hundred million to pay for all the counseling and all of the therapy and all of the uh, any type of uh, programs that will help these people and their families heal. It's not going to happen, but that is what should happen. And that's what an apology needs to be followed with, is strong actions to fixing the situation. And now that uh, now that we're talking about this pipeline and the $4.5 billion purchase, I want to play uh, some, some video... Uh, from before the announced purchase and before the, uh, you know, 60 scope apology from uh, the Manitoba Métis Federation president who was on CTV and did an interview there where he was all pro pipeline. Now I don't, um, I'm not going to get into pro pipeline or anti pipeline. That's not what my point is here. I want to go through this things that uh, president Chartrand says and, uh, and just kind of point out a few interesting um, points about his little speech here. And it's a few minutes long, and so we'll uh, we'll dive right into it here. 
let's look at the picture first of indigenous population in this country. The Métis Nation are the largest indigenous nation in, in Western Canada. Right. There's 400,000 of us. And if you look at it, there's... Okay, let's stop right there. Uh, the largest indigenous nation in Western Canada, which uh, if you take the fact that uh, the census data, the statistics Canada put out, uh, yes, there are 400,000 self-identifying Métis in the Western provinces of British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. Now, these are also the same organizations that are absolutely infuriated by the fact that there are self-identifying Métis in the eastern provinces. And they will speak to no end about how inaccurate the Statistics Canada is and how it doesn't account for certain things. And let's be truthful here. None of the Métis Nation, the MNC and affiliates, the cartel as we like to call them, if you told it up, totaled up their membership, I would highly suspect it would not reach 400,000 members. In Alberta, which I think has one of the highest memberships, you're looking at about 33,000 to maybe 36,000. Um, I was just in uh, British Columbia, and I heard much lower numbers than that in British Columbia. And I think in Manitoba themselves, they have um, a much lower um membership than what Alberta has. Maybe I've heard numbers anywhere from eighteen to 20,000. So let's just point out that uh, that's not really true. That is Statistics Canada saying that there are 400,000 Métis in those provinces. Guess what, Mr. Chartrand? I'm one of those self-identifying Métis that you won't let me into your club. Many First Nations, many, many on, on board that want to support this project and want to see it going forward. There is a chosen few that decided to take an alternative view. There's a chosen few First Nations that decide to take a, an opposing view to the pipeline. And then the reality is, uh, I, I believe it's the vast majority of First Nations are taking the opposing viewpoint, and only a handful are actually signed on. I heard numbers of like a third. But okay, let's continue. It's point in time. But at the end of the day, uh, I think common sense will prevail as we move forward that the right thing to do is to support this thing. Uh, we can't we can't say Trans, Trans Mountain should not go ahead anymore. I think we're at a point in time in Canada's history. This affects every Canadian. It doesn't only affect the Métis people nor Indigenous people. It affects every Canadian. We're talking billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, and we're talking thousands upon thousands of jobs, both short and long term. Uh, we supported Enbridge Line 3. Uh, it went very, very well. We have a in fact, agreement in Enbridge, for the next 10 years, I'll have a monitor hired in my government that will be on site at any event that occurs in Enbridge's pipeline. I'll be on site immediately. So so these are the, the thousands and thousands of jobs he's talking about. Uh, and his only example of a job created for Métis people was a single position uh, of a person who gets the call. If there's a spill... They get a call so that they can show up and stand around on site and watch them deal with the spill. Um, I don't know how that translates to thousands and thousands of jobs for Métis people. Um, okay, but uh, but I guess that one job is is worth it. So there's there's ways in way which means if people are concerned about the environment, they can be bought in and their their issues can be addressed. Kinder Morgan has stretched itself so far out when it comes to sitting down with duty consult, sitting down with indigenous people to try to bring everybody, embrace everybody, including the environmental groups that are out there protesting. I want to stick with you on this point because I, I... okay, so uh, an indigenous like he's he's not only just you know 
promoting the pipeline for those thousands and thousands of jobs for one person, one Métis person. Um, but he's now, he's now gone so far as to actually talk about how amazing Kinder Morgan is. So let's continue. I always wonder how far government can go uh, to handle indigenous opposition along the route. I mean, there's some bowing. This will be the uh, uh, epic civil disobedience. How does a government handle the optics of taking indigenous people who claim a, a level of government on their own and saying, nope, we got something coming right through your property? Well, I think indigenous people got to come to terms with certain things, like all, all, all leaders. Uh, when you want to become a leader, you got to be willing and ready to be compromising. Mm -hmm. if, if you're not going to compromise, then you're going to be a dictator. So there's there's two ways you look at it. So from from that concept, I okay, I, I think he misunderstood what understands what did uh, you know being compromising and being the dictator is. Uh, a person who stands up for their their convictions and their principles uh, on behalf of their people and the land is not. Uh, is not a dictator. Um, the people that are standing up this pipeline against this pipeline, uh, the, they are at the behest of their people and of the land. So let's not confuse dictatorship with good, honest people who oppose this pipeline. And again, I'm not picking pipeline sides, but I am saying you can't, he's, he's vilifying all First Nations who stand up against this, who exercise their freedom of of, of expression and freedom to speech who exercise who are planning to exercise their freedom to uh you know of civil disobedience um and vilifying them all as dictators if they do that it's very interesting language it's very clear canada has the legal ob obligation to do what's right for canada including indigenous people they this prime minister justin Trudeau, has gone out stretched his political uh capital quite far for indigenous people and made it very clear that they wanted to make sure nation to nation government governance taking place it is taking place we are part of the process we're part of the discussions but it can't be that just one band somewhere can say no to the entire industry you and it must stop have, and die i don't know even that said isn't necessary well, now isn't that interesting? So, uh, one band can't say no, and uh, see, this is where I disagree with a lot of um, a lot of speak on, a lot of talking on this, a lot of speaking on, a lot of talking on about pipelines. Um, I firmly believe in a community's right. So, if 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 a pipeline is going to go through, and it's going to go right underneath uh, uh, drinking where that that community gets its drinking water and and you know stuff like that I think that community should have the right to say no I think if it's going to go through somebody's land I think they should have the right to say no and I think that should apply to farmers and ranchers and private landowners as much as it does as it does indigenous people in their communities um I I I used to be involved in the pipeline industry and I know that they can route pipelines around pretty much anything. I have seen it done. And so th this isn't coming I'm not coming from a place of picking sides. I'm coming from a place that I believe that people and communities should have the right to say no. Uh, and I think if one community doesn't want it, then you find a way and 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 if the pipeline's going to go through then you need to accommodate that one community. I don't care what kind of community it is. What's interesting is you, when it comes to non-indigenous communities, pipelines are for like there. It's illegal to put a pipeline like this through the city of Calgary. It's actually illegal to put a pipeline like that 
within a certain distance of the city of Calgary without city of Calgary approval. And they even have rules on how pipelines can be routed underneath roads um, and, and things like that. So there's a lot of regulations when it comes to pipelines as to what they can and can't do. And yet when it comes to indigenous communities, it seems to be, oh, well, just ram it through. Who cares? Because it's what's best for Canada, right, Mr. Chartrand? So I fundamentally disagree with him on this. I don't believe that anybody should have the right to overthrow what a community wants. If there are sections, whole sections of that pipeline that communities are saying, no, we do not want that here, then you need to find an alternative way around. Um, and and that is just a, a fundamental difference that I'm going to have with this that statement. I think it's a ridiculous statement. Uh, it, I, anyway, we'll uh, keep playing this here. Is it a majority rules kind of thing? Well, I think so. If you look at if you look at the process from my side, uh, is that Métis we're very we're very democratic. We're one of the most democratic elected people in this country. And okay, and let's stop there. Uh, the Métis National Council is not democratically elected by the people it's supposedly set to represent. It's elected by fifty-five votes, fifty-five votes of the upper echelon of leadership within the Métis nation or the cartel. So it is not a democracy. A democracy is chosen by the majority of the people. So let's not conflate that with anything else. That in and itself is is a ridiculous statement. The fact that this guy and all these presidents, um, they, they run oligarchies. They don't run democracies. Simply because you have a board, corporate nonprofit board structure, which allows for voting of the president and vice president and treasurer and secretary and the board positions. That does in itself not make an organization democratically elected. When you have less than 1% voter turnout at your elections, that is not a democracy. A democracy is defined by the majority of people picking the government in in a free election. If you have one less than 1% of your population, then it is not chosen by the majority of people. It's chosen by the majority of people who showed up. So let, is, let us not say uh, confuse the fact that the Métis Nation, uh, Métis National Council and its affiliates are not democratically elected, in my opinion. And, and at the end, majority will rule. Mm-hmm. And, and from my perspective, it cannot be even one Métis community or one Métis village can stop an entire aspect. It affects so many thousands upon thousands of people because one just is not willing to compromise. Right. And at this point in time, there is a solution. All they have to do is uh, tell us exactly what's stopping them. If they're saying it's protecting the environment, well, do we see more oil trucks going mm-hmm. out there, more rail trains, more diesel fuel being burned? What's the solution? You know, Good point. Tim, I want to get to you on this. All right, so that's the end of that uh, nonsense. Um, I, 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 I'm shocked and, and honestly somewhat appalled um, by his implication that you fall in line or, or, or else. Um, and I think that is the, the epitome of how these organizations run themselves. Um, there is, he was acclaimed because nobody ran against him, and he takes that as a sign as how awesome his leadership is. The, the truth is, is I take that as a sign of how disen- how unengaged your, pe- your people are in the, in the governance structure. Um, and, and so because it's best for Manitoba Métis Federation, that means that all of the Métis National uh, Council and affiliates, communi- P- Métis communities have to fall in line. 
that is a dictatorship. <laughs> you just said you're the most democratic uh, indigenous organizations in the world. And, and yet, uh, you just what you just said was a democracy. You fall in line or else. Uh, you do what's best for the collective and or else. Well, that's like these are contracting or contradicting statements. And I, just, I really thought this whole interview was so ridiculous. Um, and I, I have a hard time understanding how he can sit up there on national TV and say these things. And the worst part is, is because the general public doesn't know any better. They're going to take that, his word, as, oh, well, that must be the way it is for them. And, uh, you know, it's just really sad. I was in uh, British Columbia uh, last week. I was in Victoria. And I was uh, I was around Métis people. And I'm going to tell you right now, I got the general sense that uh, those Métis communities who are part of the Métis National Council, but I shall not name them for fear of retribution, uh, they don't want the pipeline. They absolutely do not want it. So how does that work? He's saying he represents 400,000 Métis, but nobody was given the choice to support this pipeline. They just did it. That's not democracy, my friend. Um, in fact, there's probably more democracy in a union than there is in these organizations. Because at least a union, with its elected official who, they go and negotiate on your behalf, but then they come back to the people and say, here's what we've negotiated, we think you should vote on this now, and uh, we really want you to support it. But it's up to the people to vote yes or no. And I really think they need to consider doing that for these decisions like this. These guys just made a decision because they're they're the you know the acclaimed dictate I mean I'm sorry leaders of these organizations. It's absolutely ridiculous to claim them to be a democracy and then claim and then in the next statement say uh, you just one community can't have a, their own voice. You have to have the whole voice of the collective. Uh, it's things like that that just just blow my mind. It, they blow my mind that somebody can actually say that with a straight face and not be joking around. All right, so I had one more clip here of uh, President Chartrand, but uh, it doesn't seem to be working. Um, but I think you guys get the point. Um, I want to just, you know, I want to make it very clear. Again, I'm not picking sides on these pipelines. What I am trying to point out, though, is is the absolute absurdity of some of the things that they say, uh, these organizations who claim to represent people in our democracies, and, and they're just simply not. So I, I think it, it's a good highlight of some of the hypocrisy that the, they have, some of the doublespeak that they use. Um, you know, I want to, um, I want to just talk a, a bit about more about this. Um, and, and it really does, honestly, it makes these organizations look like shills for the government. And for those who might not know the term shill, it just means that they, as Christy Belcourt puts it, the MNC dances to Trudeau's fiddle. And I got permission from Christy to... Um, and read her post on Facebook, which I thought was an, an amazing uh, post. And it highlights some of these things that I'm speaking of. But, of course, I think she does it in a much better way. She's a much more eloquent speaker and writer in person than I am. I just, you know, you know, more of a, you know, dude type thing. And I don't know. So I, want, I just want to read this. Um, She's got on there, the Métis do not have the right to approve pipelines in other Indigenous nations' territories. So essentially what David Chartrand has said is that the five provinces that make up the Métis National Council's 
homeland, arbitrary homeland, uh, they have the right to approve these pipelines. Well, guess what? Those are on top of First Nations traditional territory. So who the hell gets to say? Because uh, Métis don't have, uh, you know, they can't make those agreements for somebody else's land. The Métis National Council uh, Board of Governors have, the five Board of Governors have made this decision without consultation with, oh my lord, I can't speak, without consultation or conversation or agreement of the Métis people. No one I know even heard or knew about it. The five acted alone. The MNC is weak. They are completely silent on the issues of Métis exclusion in the 60 scoop, the languages, MMIW, or children in care. The MNC only cares about jobs and money. Many Machif, like myself, are 100% in support of First Nations who are against the pipelines and tar sands expansion. Canada must have the consent of the Indigenous peoples whose territory the pipeline is crossing, if they don't, and they don't have that. Many Machif, like myself, value and love our waters, our lands, our Métis territories, and do not agree with the resource extraction in our territories either. Many Machif, like myself, are wanting to see a real move to invest in green technology and a new way forward and leave dirt oil behind once and for all. David, who are you calling Canadian? David, the MMF is not a government. You are a president of a non-profit corporation registered with the government of Canada. The Métis National Council is not a democratically elected, and she puts LOL, 55 people handpick a national president in a closed meeting among their non-profit corporation members and run like a f- and run it like a fiefdom. Chartrand claims that 400 there are 400,000 Métis on the prairies. He is speaking for. Prove it. What are the numbers of actual registered people in the three prairie organizations or within the Métis National Council? Come on, you guys. In this time of climate change, you would think there you we would all be smart enough by now as Indigenous people to to friggin' be the ones to insist and lead on the transition to green economy. Uh, The Métis National Council is such a sellout, they should start a national competition for a new MNC anthem and call it Trudeau's Jig. It would be the Métis equivalent of giving PM a headdress. And how completely rude to shill for the oil companies and trample over the indigenous nations in the process. The MNC deserves a good licking for their bad manners. So that was Christy Belcourt's take on that, not mine. Um, I think she had some very wonderful points in there, and she did an amazing job of of eloquently speaking them. And, you know, again, some of those issues are the same things I talked about, the 400,000 members. It's it's funny how in, in organizations such as these, uh, you have these organizations claiming there's 400,000 Métis, but they won't actually publish their ma- their membership numbers. Uh, they claim to be demo- democracies, yet they get the uh, they don't even get a voter turnout. I think one less than one percent is just you just consider that a non turnout. Uh, you know, they, they, so they they make a lot of claims. They say they're accountable to their people, and yet nobody can see their expense reports. Nobody can get answers from them. If you phone the office, unless it's a softball question, you don't get an answer. Um, People that are looking for answers get locked out of offices. Uh, we've seen in, in other provinces people get the police called on them for speaking their mind at meetings. Uh, this is not how you run democracies. This is how col- colonizers run democracies. When uh, Stephen Harper was in southern Alberta to unroll his uh, education 
plan that was horrible to begin with. Uh, they blue dotted everybody, and, and, and the blue dots were the ones that may not get in, and they had the police escort out everybody associated with Idle No More. That is how... <laughs> that is not a good way to run a democracy, but it seems that is the colonizer's way. And it seems like these organizations have taken hold of that and just went, man, this works so good to keep us in power. The only people benefiting from all of this, from Chartrand and his and and his cronies and their their dictatorship attitudes towards choosing and deciding what to do in these pipelines and, and these economic and resource deals, the only ones that benefit are themselves. Uh, and um, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, will there be jobs from pipelines? Sure. Will there be Métis that have a job from pipelines? Maybe. But the truth is, is they didn't consult with anybody. They didn't ask anybody. They didn't put a poll up on their website. They didn't put a... I mean, good God, it, I have a website. It would take me eight minutes to put this poll up on my website. Maybe. I think I could even do it from my iPad. So, <laughs> come on. Let's let's get with the times here. Let's stop talking out of our ass and start saying the truth. Uh, and being honest with people. You don't have a democracy. you know. And, and until... Until you decide to change it, until you decide to actually be accountable and transparent, it'll never be a democracy. And I have no hopes that while the current leadership in these organizations is there, these organizations will never be uh, democracies as far as I'm concerned. And then to tie this all into our, our Eastern Métis friends, don't worry, we haven't forgotten about you out there. We're going to talk about you guys a little bit here. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, uh, how should I say this without swearing? Garbage, a lot of garbage, a lot more garbage from certain individuals, certain academics who like to spew their filth every once in a while. Uh, saying how, you know, uh, the Métis in the East are, oh, they're trying to usurp uh, First Nations rights. They're trying to take away rights. They're trying to take control of Métis lands. And they're not respecting their First Nations uh, nat uh, ter traditional territory holders and blah, blah, blah. So they're saying all of these things about Eastern Métis, which for the vast majority, are not true. It's just not true. However, let's pretend for a second it was. You have organizations that get zero funding. You have organizations that have zero legal foothold in the Canadian colonial system because they've been, and they are in the last throes of absolute colonization. Um, forced colonization, not not voluntary. And you have people who have been dispossessed from their lands and and basically crapped on for 400 years, forced to be considered either First Nation or non-Indigenous, forced into the identities they never wanted. Uh, so you have all that, and it's, let's pretend for a minute that what he this certain academics are saying is accurate. What's the bigger threat here? The Métis, the National Council and its cartel of, of organizations that have millions and millions of dollars of government funding make decisions without consulting anybody regarding massive resource um, extraction deals on, and that spans five different provinces and how many traditional and First Nation territories... Who's the bigger threat to First Nations' rights to land? Who's the bigger threat to First Nations' um, uh, rights to anything? It isn't the guys in the East that have no money, no legal footing, 
no way of really doing anything. Uh, we are not going to get hunting rights out east. Guess who's got hunting rights? The guys in the west. When you talk about you know, usurping First Nations rights, how many First Nations groups are in the room at the table sitting with the government of Alberta and the Métis National, Nation of Alberta Association when they're negotiating their harvesting rights right now? How many are there? How many First Nations are there? So you're going to go in and you're going to negotiate First Nations or hunt, harvesting rights without any First Nations family sitting at that table. And then you want to tell me about Eastern Métis who want to just take away and, and you the, the right to the land from First Nations people? What are you doing? So, you know, that I, I don't know. If, I think it's a Confucius saying, you know, those who live in glass houses should not throw stones. I mean, come on. Who's the bigger threat here? You know, we, we've gone through the financials time and time again on this show. There are tens of millions of dollars flowing from taxpayers to these organizations who then turn around and say all this crap about everybody else, but then they go ahead and do it. They are even bigger threat, in my opinion, than any organizations out there, any other Métis organization out there, because these guys have the government's ear, and when the government says, hey, we went to Indigenous people and we consulted, well, they went to the uh, you know AFN and they went to the MNC. So we're good, right? We're good. I have literally been in a uh, at a de- at a con- panel de- debate or whatever a couple elections ago with my current MP, who said when I asked him about the right duty to consult, he said, "Well, we talked, we did consult on the First Nations education thing." I said, "What with one guy?" And he said, "Yeah, the AFN pres- uh, national chief." And I said. <laughs> You, you, you consulted with one person for over 600 First Nations? And he said, yeah, that's considered consultation. So that's the government's mentality, my friends. They go to these presidents like Chartrand and they say, hey, does this sound like a good deal? Here's uh, We'll give you an extra, you know, there could be a kickback in here, a few million for you. And he goes, absolutely, uh, Trudeau, sir. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Anything you want, sir. Yep, sir. It's uh, We'll agree to it, sir. Um. Because then I get to keep my phone on my bedside table that has that you have the number for, right, right, sir? Yeah, and uh, and they agree to it, and that's considered consultation. That's ridiculous. So that's my whole rant for tonight. Um, I know that Jason wasn't with us tonight, and uh, well, <laughs> that sounds very ominous when I say it like that. Like Jason is no longer with us. No, he is very much with us. He's okay. He's physically fine. Uh, he's just got a lot of crap to deal with right now, so he uh, couldn't make it tonight. But uh, we we dearly missed you, Jason. If you're listening to this, uh, I hope my rant was coherent and not too ranty. Uh, I want to let everybody know that uh, if you enjoyed tonight's show or you enjoy any other shows, uh, please let us know at metispodcast at gmail.com. I'm very curious to see what you guys think about some of the interviews we've been doing lately. I think they've been absolutely phenomenal, and I'm really excited for some of the ones coming up. Uh, Next week, we have another interview coming up. And then near the end of the month, we have another fantastic interview. Well, we're just, we got a lot coming. Uh, we got some great guests, though. We got a guy from Jasper Tour Company coming up next week, I believe. We got uh, a lady from the University of Calgary here that um, we talked about about cannabis and the, the legalization policies and uh, just some of the benefits and things like that. So it's a very open conversation about cannabis. The, 
and 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 the value of it. Uh, and she was actually involved in making policy in here in Alberta. So it's a very very cool conversation. I hope you guys enjoy that. And of course, hopefully the week after next, me and Jason will both be back to rant and rave again. Um, but if you so yeah, like I said, if you I'd be cur- very curious to see what you guys think about the interviews we've been doing lately. Uh, about this rant, any other rants, or any other show, uh, again, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to get more stories and interviews, head to our, and, and more of the interviews that we're doing, head to our Patreon page. We are doing, uh, we do those interviews, we publish them, but there is an after show that we do to for our Patreon page. And uh, for five bucks a month, you get access to that, and you get some other cool rewards, you shout out on the show, things like that. Uh, one of the other rewards that we were doing that I wanted to talk to Jason tonight about, just to let you guys know what we're doing. Uh, we're running till the end of May here, but we may hold this one over for June. We're not sure yet. If you go to our Patreon page and you pledge $10 per month, uh, what we're going to do right now is, you know, you get access to those awesome extra, you know, uh, exclusive content. You also get a shout out on the show, but what we're also going to do is plant a tree for your $10 every month. Um, so for every month that you are pledging $10, we will go and plant a tree. And I think that's a good one. I think we're going to stick with that one. And, you know, it's not just going to be in our backyard. Jason's actually got a spot picked out where uh, it, it is actually a for, like a logged area that has not been the, uh, the logging company is not going to be reforesting. So he's going to go and start planting trees there in an old cut block that is not regrowing uh, very quickly. And so we, we said we'd get a couple of videos or we'd get some pictures at least uh, to put up to show you guys that we are doing it. So really, if you want to help us reforest a uh, cut block up in the White Court, Alberta area, uh, head to our Patreon page and throw down 10 bucks a month and we will get those trees out for you. He's got 20 trees that he can get out right away, so feel free. Uh, and all of the money that you guys do pledge, uh, just so you know where it's going, is going to help us do things like we have a live event coming up, which I'm really excited about. It's going to be a discussion on uh, um, decolonizing Indigenous art. Sorry, just had a brain fart there for a moment. Uh, so that's where this money is going, is to help cover the, the costs of, uh, of renting some of the gear that we're going to need for that live event so we can get out and do more live events. I want to be able to get out to more communities, get more stories. And rather than just have people on the phone, I want to get out to events. I want to get out to uh, festivals and, and you know, one-day rallies and things like that. Uh, or if there's protests, I want to get out to those and, and get some 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 things for you guys. So it, we're trying to expand that way. Um, and that's what, uh, the, what the patron page is for, is to help cover some of those costs and just help us expand and help us bring more, more and more stuff to you guys and make this show the best show that we can. So... I also want to let all our Android users know, again, I don't know if I mentioned this last show, I can't remember now, but uh, we are now on Google Play, so you can get us down on Google Play. Now is usually where I ask Jason for any final thoughts, and I'm guessing he has none. So for both Jason and I, even though he wasn't here today, uh, I want to say I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you enjoy the interview next week with uh, our friend uh, Joe Yuri from the Jasper Tour Company. And until next time... The jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. I don't know a fire.